to Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to each other so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? I'm Sam Blakely, as always I'm joined by Hugh Dempsey. Hugh Dempsey, what have you been watching this week? Hello Sam, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well, yes. I have uh, been taking this time to watch a lot of stuff and binging and that lot. What have you been, apart from the film we're talking about today, what have you been up to, what have you been watching this week? So I signed up for a seven-day free trial of Disney Plus oh, and uh, basically watched five MCU films and Aladdin, <laughs> uh, the, the live-action remake, which was a lot better than I expected. Right. I mean, did you expect a lot? No. Right, yeah. I mean, that's the beauty. I, I you know, X-Men, X-Men Apocalypse I quite liked because I'd seen all the negative reviews and went in with the lowest possible expectations. Dark Phoenix, I didn't see any reviews beforehand thought it was the weakest of the bunch but i've heard a lot of people say apocalypse is weaker I, you know it's expectations isn't it it's six and one and half a dozen of the other mm. with those two films are both as bad as each other yeah. in different ways fairly abysmal fairly abysmal yeah it's, yeah it's um it's a shame really i quite the uh, premise for apocalypse was actually quite good but they just they just messed around with like what he could do at times and learning. It was, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was like, oh, I can manipulate sand and cut people's heads off. Yeah, but then when I want to use that power, I just forget that I can use that. This power is the problem with an, with an insta kill people. An OP, was it OP overpowered villain? You kind of go, well, you've just set up they can kill people with their minds, like a fantastic. And oh, they're up against yeah. our heroes. Why are they not crushing any minds right now? Always a problem. Yeah, it's it's always an issue. Have you been, but uh, uh, speaking of miserable experiences, <laughs> what are we uh, talking about today? Today Sam? we're talking about the 1990 Rob Reiner. Uh, film. Well, it's Rob Brown film, but really it's Kathy Bates's film, Misery, based on the, <laughs> the Stephen King book of the same title. Now, Hugh, you'd never seen this before. Is it a film that you knew a lot about? I mean, you mentioned a few things last week. Is it a film that you'd put off watching? Were you not very aware of it? So, as we mentioned last week, you recommended it to me about 15 years ago, <laughs> um, maybe even further back. And it was one of those that I just never sort of caught on TV or anything at the time, you know, before the age of streaming, as I said last week. Halcyon so, days. Halcyon days, when you you were relying upon Film 4 and Channel 4 and BBC 2 to give you good oh, films. my uncle to record it onto a VHS off of a Sky Movies thing and then wait till I saw him the following Wednesday and watch it and it's crap. <laughs> crap you know. Uh, Can you yeah. imagine watching a VHS quality film right now? I couldn't do it. I mean, I can, yeah, because, you know, I remember it. Yeah, it's at least <laughs> it 10 seem unusual years ago going though, back. Do you know what I think the last film I watched on VHS was? Now, I'm probably wrong about this, but the last film I remember watching was Terminator 2. Oh, that's a way to go out in style. And 2. Really? As, as, um, as early as that? That was the last time you watched a VHS film? You're from working class background as well. Surely it was later than that. I mean, I might look. There must have been. I think I'd seen stuff on VHS that, like, my little sister had on, like, you know, video, like Broom and things that she would used to watch mm. when she was little. But uh, something that I sat down to watch with, you know, affection was on VHS. Yeah, was probably Terminator Two. Wow. Whilst I must admit, it was freezing cold because we were having our windows replaced with double glazing. So <laughs> God, I was so sort of room, turn fr- of the century. <laughs> the, yeah. Just the, the image there of uh, yeah, yeah, having freezing. You- <laughs> Freezing my backside off watching uh, Schwarzenegger uh, go at it. Yeah, 14-year-old Hugh enjoying his final VHS. I have no idea what my last VHS was. I'm sure it was... It can't compete. Do you know what? It can't compete. It probably wasn't that. <laughs> How can it be? It, what, it, but the last film, like I said, the last film I remember going, oh, it's on video this. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I'm sure mm. I was still buying VHSs when it was like 2015 or something. Like, sorry, 2005, not 15. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on beyond that. So, misery, like you say, just it just never never got to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I hadn't even heard of it until you you mentioned it, mm. and uh, yeah, it's always been one of those that I've kind of wanted to watch but just never got round to doing. So, yeah, Sam. So, what is the plot of the film Misery? So. Avid fans out there. Avid, rabid at the at the gams. Um, well, I should tell them that it's, we're going to spoil it. We are going to spoil it. So if you haven't seen Misery, it, if you're in the UK, it's on Netflix. It might be elsewhere as well. I do recommend you watch it. It's under two hours. And here's the synopsis. So you've been warned, spoiler-wise. I've written it down, Hugh. Okay. See, what I'm what I'm not going to do, though, is I'm not going to point out that you've written it down. I, tell you what I will do. just let you read it. Here's what I'm going to do. But now that you've pointed it out, if you make a mistake, I'm going to mercilessly mock you. Is that okay? I'm going to read it, but not like I'm a robot. 
Oh, so is that what you're trying to say? I read like a robot. It's just really obvious. Yeah, really obvious. So this okay. is this is a synopsis, right? So it's a film. A th- excuse me, I've just made a mistake there. Uh, there we go. Let's start that again. Okay. <laughs> oh, how you, how are you enjoying it down here now? The hoi polloi after you were up on that ivory tower okay, of yours. Okay. Eh? So the film Misery is about a famous author who crashes his car and is found and nursed back to health by his number one fan. She turns out to be unhinged and holds him against his will, forcing him to rewrite his latest book. When she finds out that he's killing off her favourite character, this bit's not not written by the way. I'm just I'm ad-libbing that this couple of last sentences, and it Let's gets see. goes from bad to worse as we often do in these synopses. I'm not going to go through every plot point, but essentially, she's massively unhinged. He's a prisoner. He wants to get out, and she uh, won't let him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, if you've seen the film, you know what we're what we're on about. Let's get. I would right say that it. the main sort of ingredient in that plot point there is that essentially he's finished writing. Uh, a book where that's like a pulpy kind of uh, Mills and Boone kind, fi- kind yeah. of fiction, isn't it? And she's obsessed with that character and the character's called Misery's Child. And because he wants to move on and do other things, he kills off that character. And he's got the manuscript for that book with him when he crashes and she rescues him and she reads it. And that's kind of, and she finds out that she's going to die. And that's kind of where that's you right. find out that she's, Utterly insane. Because she's not a fan, really, of... I mean, the re- so he doesn't love her back, and she knows that, I think. But it's because she likes the writing of his that isn't what he wants to write. Like you say, it's his pulpy mills and boone things that he, that he wants to get away from. Force him to rewrite it, force him to burn his own book, and uh, goes to extreme lengths, shall we say, to keep him, to keep him trapped. I just knocked my uh, pop shield there, so apologies, listener. Um, so in terms of why I like this film... In terms of why I like this film, and in terms of why I think Hugh might like it, I mean, really, my this film, I think, started... It was my mum who showed me this film, I think, because she was a big fan of reading Stephen King and, uh, and Dean Koontz books. I mean, I was I was older than six, so, you know, it's fine. And um, I never really I never really caught the love of Stephen King's um, novels. Like, when I, was, when I was a teenager, I read about 20 Dean Koontz novels, who's kind of a, a poor man, Stephen King. He's not really had a successful... Um, not had more than one successful film adaptation of his work, whereas Stephen King obviously has had a, a fair few. Um, but I, I did really like this this uh, this film. Never read the book, but my mum did. Um, yeah. And in terms of the adaptation, it's it's a it's a dream team uh, that we'd seen in a in a previous film of ours, um, directed by Rob Reiner and written screen written by William Coldman, who, as you know, teamed up on. The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. And just these two, both of these two men, incredibly talented, but also so diverse. Rob Reiner, you know, some of his other films are Spinal Tap, a comedy mockumentary, Stand By Me, a coming-of-age drama, Princess Bride, which is every genre. When Harry Met Sally, uh, when Harry Met Sally, which is a real genre-defining rom-com. You know, he's not somebody who's pigeonholed in any sort of any sort of way. Goldman's kind of the same. You know, we've also done Butch and Sundance, Princess yeah, that Bride. Was a western. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a post post modern western. <laughs> yeah. uh, Princess Bride again, every mm. genre. Stepford Wives, which is not really like anything here, and then all the President's Men, Marathon Man, and and Misery. So really, just diverse talents, and they come together so well. Um, and in fact, speaking of kind of coming together, Stephen King sold Rob Reiner the rights for this for one dollar, which he often did, or often does. Um, it's kind of his way of paying back because he, he loved films so much growing up that he's he sold a lot of his books and, and novels and novellas um, for a dollar to aspiring what? filmmakers. I never so. knew that about him. It's, it's amazing. So, I mean, he, how you know, does, he make, does he make money off these films? Not then? really. Not really. I mean, he's, he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, so I think it's a case of it's no skin off his nose, really. He could be a lot richer. I, I mean, I don't know, but he could be a, he could be a lot richer, basically. Fair enough. It's incredible, and he he uh, he he didn't really want this to go to film because it was a really personal project for him. It is about him and his his addictions, uh, alcohol and cocaine, um, predominantly. And I just like the fact I like I just like to think of um, Stephen King on cocaine <laughs> off his tits. He's, uh, he's typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful idea. She's got blood all over her. <laughs> <laughs> Put a big bucket. <laughs> Yeah, uh, honey, I've made something wonderful. <laughs> it's about a man can, who's tried to write a book and feel, goes mad and murders his whole family. <laughs> <laughs> can you feel your inner ear drum? I can feel my inner ear drum <laughs> vibrating very fast, very fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, and and sort of the the film, like the character James Khan's character Paul Sheldon, his kind of 
being trapped that's kind of addiction but also Kathy Bates's addiction uh, her, she's called Annie her addiction to his work and so on she's got an addiction like that so there's a lot of addiction running through this and he didn't want anybody to put it on film because it was so personal Rob Reiner had um, adapted Stand By Me a few years earlier which was one of his novellas in the same set of novellas actually as uh, The Shawshank Redemption is found so he thought okay I can trust this man you know he understands my work and I think he'll he'll do well with it so it's a really good film of collaborations and, and also it's basically a two-hander it's just James Caan and Kathy Bates plus you know a few scenes with the sheriff and his wife and a few you know extra little things um on that subject as well, I really like enclosed kind of bottle episode films, as we've talked about in the past. Um, I recommended Circle in episode six of our show, which is all, mm-hmm. apart from one scene, is all set in one room. Um, yeah. Rob Reiner said, you know, 75% of this film is in one room, and they, all the cast and crew, they just loved it when they got to explore more of the house. It was like a holiday from being in that <laughs> fucking room <laughs> the whole time. Um and uh, even as some, you know, somebody who's interested in filmmaking and screenwriting, I just quite like it as a challenge. Uh, I like thinking about what a challenge it must be for them to to write a film like this. You know, that they, they somehow still manage to have a structure and plot, uh, evolution, suspense, all these things, and they foreshadow things really well. But it's just a talky film with little bits of action occasionally thrown in. I think the one thing that's really made this film endure for the last thirty years and, and will endure. Is Kathy Bates' character. It's really one, it's one of, if not her, first film. She was really not well-known at all uh, before this, and William Goldman, in fact, suggested her. Um, she read one line, and Rob Reiner stopped her and was like, right, you're, you're in. <laughs> he, he loved her so much, and he, and he also no. said that she's got a similar kind of energy um, off-screen. You know, she'd say words like oogie and cockadoodle, or cockadoodie, and all this sort of stuff. She was a bit like that. Um, right. and, and her performance is so unhinged but so childlike and it, there's loads of um, things that aren't said on screen the, like her background, the character's background is that she was abused by her father um, when she was a child and is that something you know from the book? From no, no, no. I've not read the book, but from reading around it. In fact, um, our good friend Joe, and in fact my brother, I went further than friends with him <laughs> at, at Christmas. He, Sorry, uh, hang on. <laughs> is he your good friend first or your brother? Both, I think, mutually, um, equally. <laughs> uh, he got me this great book at Christmas called um, Stephen King: How and, to Be Brothers and, by Joe Blakely. How to Be Brothers and Friends uh, by Joe Blakely. <laughs> Forward by Sam Blakely. <laughs> Um, Ian Nathan's Stephen King at the movies and there's a whole chapter on on misery and kind of production around it and so on so this has come at a a very good time Um, what's it yeah so Kathy Bates you know from an armchair psychology point of view you don't have to be a psychiatrist to see some of the things like how how regressive she is you know she's like a little child and that she hates obscenity and profanity and so on and some of the words she uses she's always wearing a cross she does talk about God and she spoke to God a little bit it's a very kind of you know tightly wound kind of re- repressed uh, kind of attitude and and she got the Oscar she got the best best actress Oscar and Glo- uh, Golden Globe so it was recognised as an excellent performance also uh, her character Annie Wilkes was um voted or was uh, nominated as the 17th most iconic villain of all time movie villain by the american film institute <laughs> so they you know it's a it's high praise indeed yeah it's a well-respected well-respected um character and i think she does play it really well it's a bit hammy but kind of i think it i think it fits a couple other things that i really like about it um i quite like it's not it's not a it's not a whodunit or a mystery or anything like that but it's a film where you can put yourself in the captive's position in Paul's position and try to work out how you would do things and he's not complete he's not a complete idiot he is quite resourceful you know he does manage to unlock the door with a hair clip and do things that I wouldn't have thought to be able to do or even try um you know he's got some good ideas maybe maybe when we get to your review maybe you've seen things that I haven't in terms of he's being really stupid um I forget who it was now but there was an actor who was a who helped with the script helped with the script um they were one of the people who originally thought of as potentially playing paul i can't remember who it was and they said what they did was they they sat down and they brainstormed with the writer william goldman and and rob reiner and they said okay let's imagine you're in his position let's think what would you do and then what we've got to do is block all of those avenues so whether that's you get through the back door well he can't get in the kitchen this that this that you know can he reach that can he get that 
is there a phone? Is there a this? And uh, they did a really good job. I I think did a really good job of giving him these little glimpses of hope and then dashing them uh, in a what I think is probably realistic to the to the film. Okay, so is there anything you think I might not like about this film? Um, I think maybe you might find Kathy Bates's performance hammy. She's a bit too wide-eyed, maybe. Um, like I say, I think maybe. Maybe you'll see things uh, that I didn't in terms of, well, he could have got out there, he could have got out there, you know, this the sheriff should have been onto him earlier or something like that. Um, we've got um, a regular contributor to the show. Uh, I won't mention him because he said he loses 50 Twitter followers whenever he <laughs> comments on our on our films, but he, he said um, that he, he doesn't like Stephen King's writing of women uh, beyond teenage women, and he, he also said that James Caan has no dramatic range. And it's very true, I think one of the things maybe that you might not like about this is that he's not a very interesting character in the sense that he doesn't have like he doesn't have like a fatal flaw that is thematic or something like that. You know, he's interesting in the sense that he doesn't actually like writing this stuff, but he's a very one note flat character. And for me I quite like it because I think he he's trying to be what Annie wants him to be, whilst also not being not giving in too much, you know, he is a captive here. So, yeah, maybe that. I mean, you're not a fan of horror. It's probably not a horror, it's more sort of thriller. But it's like a thriller suspense more than yeah. like a horror film. It, yeah. it dabbles in that genre, doesn't it? Towards exactly, the end, yeah. I would argue. And it's, uh, and it's Stephen King, so you're you kind of inclined to think it's more horror. But, but I think one of the reasons yeah. why you don't like horror is the suspension of disbelief. And I'm just wondering, I'm just... My biggest question is, did you suspend your disbelief enough to get you through the film and was it was well, it interesting we'll find out we will find out so we Sam will. do you think I liked this film I do I do I do because I don't think okay. it's got I don't think it's got pretensions like Place Beyond the Pines has I think you'll like it I think you'll give it an 8 but we'll find okay, out then. okay so listener we we're on we're all on tenter tender tender hooks um, uh, whichever it is tenter hooks it is tenter hooks isn't it it is yeah but they tenderizes. so come back after the break, we'll be less tense when we hear Hugh's views. Less metaphors as well, probably. <laughs> Hopefully a few metaphors. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Please Watch This. We're now ready for Hugh's views. So as is customary, Hugh's not going to give us his overall judgment yet. He's going to tell us Hugh... What were some of the things you liked about 1990s? Okay, so what I liked about this film, uh, up top, uh, Kathy Bates' performance in this is incredible. Um, Especially against like (laughs) James Caan's stoic writer, sort of in Mm. an impossible situation. You know, he's clearly quite... That's a good word for it, stoic. Yeah, somebody would see it as um, wooden or nothingy, but stoic, yeah. yeah. Although I did see that quote that you quoted before from... uh, uh, Voldemort, <laughs> um, and yeah, so that was kind of ringing in my ears a little bit. Going, well, d- does he have range, or is this his? Is this him? Mm. So I, I was playing with that, and the character didn't really call for range, but, but he's—I think he's good in this because he's reacting to uh, Kathy Bates's character um, insanity. Yeah, he's letting her lead lead the kind of. Because yeah, exactly. He's letting her spew out her insanity, and then he's gonna he's gonna try and I don't know mediate. Yeah. That so something can. I didn't realize about this film when you know I'd seen bits and pieces of it in the past was just how funny it was. This film is so darkly comic. Yeah, it is brilliant. Yeah, in that yeah, yeah. I mean, I was so surprised by just you know it's those shifts in tone, isn't it? From you know him being horrified to her going. Something like, oh, um, you know, what are you doing down there on the floor? Let me help you into bed and, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, what? <laughs> she's it's been screaming and shouting at him going, he's ungrateful five minutes ago. And now she's like, oh, I just lost my temper, you know, pretending like she's not got him in captivity. <laughs> I think the word is unstable, isn't it? <laughs> For um, what else did I like? But the film ultimately is horrifying as well. At the same time, it's darkly comic, but it's also horrifying. <laughs> exactly, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> I was hoping you'd edit that. I did that because I responded to it. <laughs> but yeah, so it's mm. it is darkly horrifying in, in the sense of the the dread yeah. if you were that character. Yeah, and you have that. Like, let's be honest. When she um, hobbles him, you're just you're hiding behind your hands. It's 
an awful, mm. awful thing. And I've seen that a bunch of times. Obviously, I'd seen this film a few times, and and in doing research, I'd seen that, and I still, yeah, I was still ugh, had a, a you know visceral reaction yeah. to that. Oh, horrible! And horrible yeah, effect. you know, you've got the um, the directing writing duo of William Goldman and Rob Reiner. I mean, you can't go wrong with it. Still, you know, this film's thirty years old oh, now, dear. and it holds up in my opinion, quite frankly, in terms of its. Yes, you've got to buy a few premises, right? So, yeah, it's. It it's set in 1990. Yeah, he writes it on a typewriter and he burns his manuscript, and that's the end of it. You know, he can't do anything with that. You know, that's not a problem we would have today in this situation. You'd have to write elaborately around it. No. But then, <laughs> you know, he has to write elaborately around um, a situation in this film, which was brilliant. That and do you know what I watched in preparation. Sorry to interrupt. I watched the um, Family Guy take on Misery. Have you seen that? He probably oh, did once I... upon a time. Yeah, I don't remember it. And uh, it's basically beat for beat. It's like four minutes. You can find it on YouTube. And there's bits in this where um, Paul is saying to Annie, uh, you know, can you call them? What about, can you go to the hospital? And she's got excuses for it. But because Family Guy is obviously from the 21st century, he says, uh, text, um, telegram, fax, all this sort of stuff. (laughs) And each one, Stewie, who's playing Annie, has got an answer for it every single time. You know, and and they're like, it's like an updated version that they go, well, let's just, let's write around it a little bit more. Because he'd have to lose his phone in the crash and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be hard to modernise it. I'm your number one fan. I'm your number one fan. I'm your number one fan. Uh, Who are you? I'm Stewie Wilkes. I saved your life. You were in a terrible car accident. You broke both your legs. I taste lipstick. Am I wearing lipstick? Not anymore. You know, I am a huge Snuggly Jeff fan. I've read all the books. Great. Hey, uh, can you hand me my cell phone? i got to call my agent. She's probably worried sick about me. Ooh, it was destroyed in the accident. Well, can I use yours? No reception up here. Regular phone? Lines are down. Payphone? Roads closed. Email? Dial up. Fax? Paper jam. Morse code? Obsolete. Brain-damaged bicycle courier? I'm not quite so sure I can find my way. Yeah, you're going to be here a while. Um, have you ever watched a film where somebody trying to pick up a hair clip is like one of the tensest things you've ever seen? <laughs> they are fucking annoyed to try and get a pick up with two fingers because you, your fingers are too stubby and like too, you know, they're not they're not articulated enough no. for it. Yeah, you know what you should have done? You should have licked his fingers and got a bit of saliva grip. <laughs> uh, well, you know, a bit of fat for their audience. You've got to, you've got to worry about spreading all these kind of you know viruses though in this day and age. Well, not back then. In the oh, halcyon days of non-coronavirus pandemic, simply AIDS. Simply AIDS, and that was about it. <laughs> uh, what else did I like about this film? I love the fact that they've got this like little subplot with the um, the sheriff and his wife, and his, <laughs> they've just completely fleshed out these two characters for no they're good reason. They're straight out of Fargo. They're straight out of Fargo, those two. It they? is, isn't it? <laughs> like, just she randomly starts touching him up, and she's like, and he's like, in here, you're my deputy. <laughs> well, this deputy would rather be at home under the under the sheriff's sheets. <laughs> yeah, like it was, yeah. and like so, when that character dies at the end, you're genuinely upset because you're yeah, like, oh yeah. no, not not sheriff. Buster. I don't know. Buster, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. The, yeah. I was I was just calling him Sheriff Mustache in my uh, I was <laughs> in my, in my mind he's the sort mustache. of um he's the Scatman Carruthers from The Shining, really, because you know, he, he kinda comes and he just dies like Scatman. Yeah, he, he so because obviously this film came out what, twelve years after The Shining, I think it was? Just ten, just ten straight years. Is yeah. it just sorry, is it nineteen eighty the Shining? Yeah, yeah. It's only ten years. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, so is because I know this is kind of a trope in Stephen King novels that uh, a law enforcement or an outside agent comes in and saves the day, and in The Shining mm. that's subverted, apparently. So I was like, is this going to be a film where he comes in and saves the day, or is it going to be like The Shining, where he just gets ceremoniously murdered and you're actually <laughs> very upset about it? In fact, I prefer this guy over Scatman Carruthers because they Me do too. all this yeah. development with him. Um, yeah, Scatman, you get a good couple of scenes at the start, but you don't really see him other than, you know, he gets up and has his breakfast and then makes his way to the hotel. And yeah, you're right. I like how Buster's dotted in. Yeah. Um, what else do I like? Yeah, oh, but you, you also know that uh, Kathy Bates' character is a psychopath because she had an Alec Nixon bookmark. So, you know, the clues were all there. <laughs> That's one of the quiz questions ruined, but I've got plenty oh, of damn. spare. <laughs> Sorry Don't worry about that. it. <laughs> There's plenty left. Um, yeah, no, and, and and like her favourite artist is Liberace 
it's like you know perfectly you know very talented and all that sort of stuff but it's like american psycho like he really loves genesis and phil collins and huey you know <laughs> huey lewis and the news like that is psychopaths that's their music. yeah <laughs> only a psychopath can have that as their favorite music yeah that m-o-r kind of middle of the road so like some people have lionel lionel rich is their favorite musician yeah, fucking hell! Have you never heard Led Zeppelin or like someone <laughs> with artistic merit? <laughs> yeah, there's these, there was these four blokes. They were hanging around in the sixties in Liverpool called Beatles. <laughs> you might, you might have come yeah. across them. Oh. They're poppy as well. You'll enjoy them. It's about love, but yeah. you know, good. Yeah. Oh, there was this guy in America, he was Jewish, but he went by by an anglicised <laughs> name, Bob Dylan. You might have yeah. heard of him. Yeah, he's got some Bit. good lyrics. Yeah, about half got a Nobel Prize for literature. <laughs> yeah, cretins. Or even like, like I'm not. I wouldn't be the biggest fan of punk music, but I get why people like punk. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's so anti against this disco at the time. You know, love hippie music. It's it's against lots of things, and they're setting themselves, and they they have a voice. Where I don't think I would have liked disco if I was born in and raised in the seventies. Yeah, I might have enjoyed like pop music in the late nineties, early noughties. Uh, 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 yeah, we grew out of it quite quick, didn't we? Yeah, weren't the type. weren't the type. Yeah, I think I listened. I was, to th- quite... I was thinking today. Um, you were thinking. There must be impressive. I know. In preparation for the podcast, I turned on my switching. I switched on my thinking, um, <laughs> and then I switched it immediately. Switched it off for the record. Um, there's there must be somebody in the world for whom Transformers Dark of the World is their favourite film of all time <laughs> who's like older than 20 <laughs> there must be somebody that in the world who that has that as their favourite film well, it's and it like, blew my mind thinking about that it's like that George Carlin quote isn't it where um, you know you think how stupid the average person is and half of them <laughs> are stupider than that yeah and Doug, Doug Sandhope as well similar sort of thing he's like most of the people most of the people in the world are idiots I'm in the top 3% of smartest people and I'm a fucking idiot you know like imagine how stupid people are and you know he's kind of admitting that he's very smart relatively but he, he's still stupid um, we're kind of sorry we're getting on, off track yeah, so, yeah we're going she off loves track. Liberace she's I yeah. did yeah I put in my notes here Good use of music with Liberace. Torture mm. can be uh, torture can be through music as well. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, have you um, ever worked in a shop where they play the same music over and oh over again? Christ, yeah. I used to, yeah, when Capital FM when I lived in London and worked there, and it's like, well, can we just have not Katy Perry for a bit? <laughs> if that's all right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So I put down. What else does it? Uh. Yeah. One of the things that makes this film and the direction of it really good is um, they always, well not always, but there's so many camera angles where you see Kathy Bates' character from a mm. low angle. And yeah. that just... That, He's basically screaming into the camera. Yeah, that little subtle detail of you being in the point of view from James Khan's character of looking up at this, you know, yeah. she's not a big person relatively to him but she has all the power in this situation and she is the all the menace and they just keep using it and keep using it and keep using it and to the point where you're like you when you see her from a normal like wide angle shot or um, a mid-range shot you're just like oh why is she not like why are we not looking up at her in yeah, terrifying yeah. awe here and i think for her as That's well her point. performance you know she had to basically go i can't be nurse ratchet I have to because I'm a something else. Yeah, but I'm an obsessive like character, and yeah. Also, hopefully you can clear this up for me, right? So one thing I wasn't too sure about. It's inferred through when he finds her uh, photo album that she was basically murdering babies at a hospital when she was doing her old job. Did she not go to prison for that? (laughs) It's one of those I think where the. Where the you know there's not the evidence for it. It's similar, in fact, funnily enough, on the Family Guy one, um, there's a similar thing. Memory, memory Lane, uh, you know, folder, and it's like the tenth article that Brian looks at is everybody who knows Stewie Wilkes has died. <laughs> it's like, could it be more obvious? Um, but no, I think it's one of those. Like Harold Shipman got away with it for years. Uh, you know, like if we use that as a touchstone. I mean, that's that is true. That is true. Yeah, um, yeah and I like the fact that she was where just you know yeah. like you said you're a cocky doody <laughs> yeah it's, it's a real regressive that child she, she's regressed basically yeah. and, uh, back to the, the child thing that it's, I think it was based loosely on somebody who uh, was basically like that and they had I think 50 children die under their care over a number of years 
Right, so it okay. has happened, so it's not completely unrealistic. Um, so, yeah, the only thing that I put down here that I didn't like about this film was um, the practical effects on his leg and the dummy. <laughs> that So at the end, when they're fighting and he trips her up and she's like falling through the air, you can clearly see that it's a dummy with a right, ridiculous right. expression on its face. And I was, <laughs> I was really into that scene, and as soon as I saw the dummy, I burst out laughing. Oh, and I was like, yeah, it really... I think maybe we're just so used to good practical effects and special effects now that when yeah. you do see something that's so jarringly bad... Was it like a, a rodent of unusual size flying through It was the her eyes. It was just like her eyes are too big in that particular bit. And you can tell that it's a... You can just tell it's a dummy. It's so funny. But it didn't ruin the film for me. It's, it's the... I'll be honest, it's a minor nitpick about this film. It's yeah. It's I usually I would say whether I I, I just like. I'm just gonna say it, I liked. I really liked this film. Oh, this is this is. It feels like a while. I think it's Fargo was the last time I was happy with your review of a film, just in the sense of yeah. you, you know we agreed on it so much, and that that's yeah, that's that's very vindicating. It's just it is a bit of a home run in terms of. It's hard to dislike this film, isn't it? It yeah, and I think that the humor is what kind of keeps it from being. Mm-hmm. I would like to. I must admit that I would like to see a cut of the film where they take out some of the score and just leave in maybe some of the piano stuff. I think the music's very dates it a little of its time. Mm. Like its um, non-diegetic music is a bit too bombastic at times, and I'd like a little maybe a bit more subtlety with that part of the film. Right. Yeah, like you know, you look at The Shining and you look at The Shining's use of, and uh, you know when. Um, what you mentioned, the character... Um, Scatman. When Scatman goes to the Overlook Hotel, it was, wasn't it? And he's going through that wide corridor. It's completely silent, except for him moving mm. through it. And I think a bit more silence on the uh, score would have been better. But that's That a- has been one of the biggest changes in film, is how melodramatic the, the music, the soundtrack is, isn't it? Yeah, it was just a fashion, wasn't it? It's It was a yeah. way to communicate tension and thoughts and feelings and emotion to the audience um, I mean I know that you don't need to so I've just um, just on the on the basis of your uh, what you said I've just skipped ahead to that scene I don't think it is a dummy you know it's definitely a stand-in is it it's a, a funny du- it's, a, it's a mad face that, the, that they're pulling but it doesn't well maybe it is a dummy it looks, it looks like a dummy it falls a bit dead to the floor I'm going to watch it for the ninth time in a row <laughs> I was glad <laughs> that you were talking and filling and I was kind of half listening <laughs> just back in again standard again. I I mean, it it falls like a dummy, but I, I, I think it might be a standing. I don't know. I need to really I need to look into that. I, but you know, it took you out at the moment, so obviously they didn't do it right. Yeah, I, I, it just looked like a dummy to me. You know, like one yeah. of these prosthetic. It looked like a prosthetic head. <laughs> it, it lands like a dummy. It's a very like boo, boo kind of thing. But you know, yes. Yeah. Who knows? Well, yeah. But you know, for that for that to be basically that, and maybe the, the over dramatic soundtrack i'm very pleased with that and the soundtrack thing's a minor nitpick because it does also interact also does um put in all that liberace classical music which is brilliant because it so fits the the madness that's going on in the main character's head as well you know yeah because he's going like he must be going insane as well (laughs) well it's like guantanamo bay or something like that you know or um uh, I'm yeah. a grave kind of playing the same song over and over again to, to try and make yeah. him crazy um, just before the break you mentioned mm. um, you read some a book I can't remember what the name of the book was about Stephen King at the movies yeah so was there anything in that that maybe you want to add to this discussion about the film I've got a few facts yeah let's uh, do some facts, facts. Uh, ladies and gentlemen facts I tell you what, it, it grows, wherever you look, it grows and grows, this list. James Kahn was not the first choice. And I've written down only five, but on different... If you look at IMDb and Wikipedia and all kinds of places... So these are the five that were mentioned in this book, but there are about 40 more names. Basically, anybody who was a an, a mayor, an actor in his 30s or 40s or 50s at the time was, was considered for Paul Sheldon, including Michael Douglas, De Niro, Harrison Ford, Al Pacino and Gene Hackman. Also, I saw Jack Nicholson was... was Considered, but I think he was a bit kind of like, well, I just did The Shining. I did, I did One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and that's Nurse, nurse Ratchet and all that sort of stuff. One of the big changes, actually, from the novel that I think was completely the right decision, and in fact, uh, originally, um, Goldman didn't like the change that... Oh, hang on, I think I've got this wrong. Yeah, that's right. So Goldman liked the original 
Raina liked the change. Um, rather than hobbling him just by breaking his ankle, in the novel she chops off his left foot with an axe and then wow. cauterizes it with a blowtorch. Um, but up. what? Yeah, but what Rob Raina really liked the idea of was um, that he could emerge as whole from the whole ordeal. You know, he right. didn't. He didn't. He, he walks with a stick afterwards, but he doesn't. He's got all of his parts. You know, that was kind of a bit a big change. So Reiner really wanted that. Goldman wasn't sure. Stephen King wasn't sure. But then when they showed it, <laughs> they were very happy about that. Yeah, um, very happy about the I think it. Yeah, I don't think it makes a difference really. They both have the same sort of horrifying effect, don't they? And he's still, like you said, he's still, still hobbling at the end of the film, isn't he? I can see. I can see the argument both ways. I've. I've yeah. Not, it, it is what it is now, isn't it? What did did your mum? Yeah. You said your mum um, read the book. Did you ever discuss that bit with her? If you remember, no, I don't. I don't remember. I was, oh, you know, now you mentioned it, I was thinking of um, calling her beforehand and, and seeing if there's anything else that st- stuck out. But it's probably more than twenty years since she read it. But um, hi, mum. By the way, I know you sometimes listen. Hi, maybe you're our biggest fan. I'm not sure, but uh, hello, mum. I will recommend you listen to this. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that she. She's a big fan of Stephen King and and, uh, and his films, really. Not, nothing else came to mind. Yeah, because I think if I'd read the book, I think I would have been disappointed, I think, if I'd read the book that they didn't chop his foot off. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? You, you build up this thing. But I think I think we can agree that it was better that way. And, you know, if you do a Google image search for Misery, the first thousand images are the hobbling or her with a sledgehammer. Mm. It's very iconic. Right, well, shall we uh, do some favourite scenes then? I think we ought to. What was what would be your favourite scene? So, my favourite scene in the film, surprisingly, isn't the uh, isn't the hobbling scene. Yeah, me, me too, actually. Really? Oh, I thought yeah. it would be. Damn. So you, most, think, most memorable scene, though. I think me and you... Yeah, it was. it's impactful. Mm. And it, I literally did watch it behind my hands. I, couldn't, I actually <laughs> couldn't watch it the first time. I had to go back and rewind it and watch it after I finished watching it, because it was just... Yeah, I was I was into it at that point, and uh, oh, was, yeah. you know it was really. I just like this way the film ratchets up the crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get glimpses, and it really does ratchet up, doesn't it? But I think what makes this film stand out above a normal sort of like psychopathic sort of captor who's you know a bit one-dimensional um, is the fact that when it's so near the end of the film when it starts raining, and basically Annie's unhappy. And she comes yeah. in looking all miserable, and she's just depressed about the fact that Paul's going to leave. And they kind of imbue the character with a real sense of pathos. You almost feel sorry for her at that moment in the film. Yeah, that's where she really gets that bipolar kind of thing. She's very manic and so on, but then she has those yeah the blues. Um, one thing that I struggled with this time watching it was: Did you ever watch League of Gentlemen? Yeah. There's that character, I can't remember the specifics, but there's a character who I think he's really bad at taking a joke, and they're all out uh, at a restaurant together, he's really bad at taking a joke, and he goes on a bit of a rant, and he goes, blah, 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 blah. you know I've got this gun, because <laughs> I know where, like, that's his, his threat, you know I've got a gun, and he's just with his friends, and she was like, I've got this gun, and it did take me out of it a little bit, <laughs> in retrospect, but yeah, so that was your favourite scene, what were the key elements there that, that made it for you? It was just because it humanised this monster, essentially, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, and she you kind of was like, and she's... And it goes into, I mean, we're bleeding into favourite lines here, but, you know, she says, um, oh, where is it? Um, you know, you'll never know the fear of losing someone like you if you're someone like me. That's beautiful. And that kind of, I was like, oh my God, I, you know, you can see the, you kind of see almost why the character was like, did she kill these babies because she didn't want them to go because she'd cared for them? And then you're like, there's a whole layer of psychology there that's, you know, comes from that one scene and I really liked that kind of vulnerability that you see in the character. I think all good villains ultimately have some vulnerability and I keep going back yeah. to the nurse ratchet kind of thing here and her vulnerability is that she's in a nut house with a load of potentially violent criminals so mm-hmm. she becomes sadistic because of that. Yeah, she's got control over them and doesn't want that challenged by yeah. uh, Jack Nicholson. In fact, it's funny you mention that, really, because this film, it is really good from an armchair psychology point of view, but also it does match with the the proper psychology as well, as far as I can see. And, you know, not perfectly, but you know, there's a thing called parasocial relationships that people study at A-level, which is 
it's not a one-on-one relationship. It's basically celebrity obsession, and this idea, this called the absorption addiction model. Right. The, the basic idea is, the less fulfilled you are, the more likely you are to be what they call borderline pathological celebrity obsessed. And you know, she fulfills that one hundred percent in terms of her relationships and her well-being and all that, all that sort of stuff. I call it being um, a football fan. Yeah, <laughs> supporting yeah, exactly, a football yeah. team is the uh, is my uh, every man equivalency there. Exactly, yeah, that's it. And and I think the, you know, the, I think the times in my life when I've cared more about football is probably when I've had less else going on, you know, and less else to fulfil me. I think. Yeah. Quite possibly. Uh, yeah, and it's it's very true. It's very true. Yeah. So it was your. So was that your favourite scene as well? Or no? I mean, it was a really difficult one because because it being a so enclosed thing. There's loads of a lot of scenes blend, but I really like the candlelit dinner that they have. Oh yeah, that's really good. It showcases um, Paul's intelligence in that he is playing her, and he, the same with um, when he's finished the novel, he always finds a way to to get the upper hand, or at least in his mind, prepare for the upper hand, but in a way that would be acceptable to her. You know, so for example, when he's when she's just shot uh, Buster, the sheriff, mm. and she's about to shoot the two of them, he finds a way to say that she shouldn't shoot him just then you know and he always finds a way and um he finds a way to say oh well i've finished the novel you better get me three things and that way he can set set on fire and set everything up the candlelit dinner you know he knows that that's exactly what she wants but he just wants her to be sitting there with a drink in front of him because he's he's saved up all this painkiller um and then for her to knock it over and in my mind i still don't know if she did that on purpose i still feel like maybe she knew yeah Um, that was that i was thinking that was like did she do that on purpose and then I was like, playing it back in my mind, I was like, did he knock the candle over by accident, or was it her? And then because I've only seen it once, so yeah, you'll, you'd have you've seen it a few more times. Who knocks the candle over? Is it him or her? Uh, so she knocks the she knocks the wine glass over. I think the candle gets in the way as well, annoyingly because he asked for the candle. Oh, it was quite funny. Um, and and I just I love a scene where you know something that one character knows that the other character doesn't know. Mm. Something significant happens. You know, we talked about off air about. Inglorious Bastards, which I haven't seen, but I've seen plenty of video essays. And there's a scene where Michael Fassbender puts up three fingers, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and, it, and that shows him. And, and so I'll try not to give any spoilers for the listener who's not seen it. Um, but that's something where a character knows something in a scene, another character doesn't know, and you don't know, but you know that they know something. This one obviously is where we know and Paul knows, but Annie doesn't know, and it just. It's a brilliantly moving scene and moment that she doesn't even realise is significant. Yeah. Or maybe she does. And you can see his disappointment uh, yeah. when he can't do anything about it. Because um, he'd been building up for about 40 minutes or like yeah, half an hour yeah, to, to try to get to that moment. And yeah, it's no avail. And it's a good like misdirect as well, I suppose, in terms of an yeah. actual um, plot device. Because you think, oh, well, he's going to drug her and either you know you're kind of looking at the runtime at that point you're going to go oh well she's going to feel a bit drowsy and then realize something's happened and she's going to punish him for it and she's going to because she's a nurse she's going to somehow manage to get sick or whatever but actually she's just clumsy or she's (laughs) intuitive just dashed like that yeah it's very good at very good at setting things up so for example when he knocks the penguin off yeah it's not for a long time before she notices that and i I was surprised when i rewatched it actually i thought I thought it was like the next scene she charges in, but actually it's 20, 30 minutes later. It's a couple of days later, film, t- film time. Yeah. Uh, it's really well done. Yeah, it's um, it's a callback that you thought that... Because we've seen so many films where something gets referenced and then never gets referenced again. You think, yeah. oh, well, then he got away with it and that just showing yeah. it's the wrong direction because that's kind of the the style they're going for in this film because obviously they do the extreme close-ups on the uh, paperclip mm-hmm. as well and on like the uh, underneath the bed and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Any favorite lines? Yeah. Favorite lines. Have you got? A, have you got a favorite line? Well, obviously, I already said what I thought my favorite line was. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, the other one I did like. It comes near to the beginning of the film where, um, <laughs> where she says, uh, where Annie says, "It's better than perfect. It's divine." What's the ceiling that Dago painted? The Sistine Chapel, yeah. <laughs> that and Misery's Child are the two only two divine things in the world. This world <laughs> can't even finish my sentence. It's so funny. Yeah, because she was always going on those flights of fancy. It'll be the most beautiful, romantic. The house will be full of romance. It's going to be the most beautiful thing. Yeah, she's um, she's a child, isn't she? That's the thing. Yeah, she's a she's a and slightly racist as well. Twelve year old girl <laughs> and slightly racist that Dago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know what that meant. I actually had to look that up. 
I was like, dig. Does it mean does it mean Spanish? It's yeah, it's like a oh, vaguely Mediterranean. It's a European. racial slur. Yeah. Um about Spanish Italians. Like in America it's more for Italians. In Britain right. it's it was originally used to mean um Spanish sailors. And it that kinda, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But that was like eighteenth century or something. So And then she lives in the eighteenth well, she lives in the late nineteenth century with uh, yeah. with misery really. Um yeah. my favourite line, I've got three really. There's the two of them very short. One of them is a bit more of a, a rant. So I really like the line, I'm your number one fan. Is that the end? In the way that it's used. The, the end yeah. and the beginning, whenever it's used, but certainly at the end. I've got that, um, I've got that same one from the end as well. Great. And there, there's a, did you ever see that documentary, I think late 90s, early noughties, called I'm your number one fan? I did not, know. It follows, I don't know, let's say four different fanatics and fantasists, you know, people, people who are just crazy about somebody. There was a woman called... Blue Tulip Rose Reed, who was obsessed with Mike Reed, the DJ. Um, <laughs> just obsessed. Um, but Mike Reed. <laughs> yeah, of all the people. No offence, Mr. Um, Reed. I'm sure you're lovely, but... <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, oh, God, I can't remember who she's asked, but somebody says, would you marry Mike Reed? Yes. Um, would you marry so-and-so? No, no, they've got horrible breath. But Mike Reed has beautiful breath. And it's just got all these very, very strange people. Um, and so that was in the back of my mind while watching this kind of this. I'm right, I fun. see. That is... And obviously it was a big influence for Stephen King, not that show, but, you know, this he'd had he'd had an odd, odd fan who broke into his kitchen window with a what he said was a bomb in a cigar box that didn't turn out to be a bomb. Um, yeah, so I really like that. And then... The, we talked about the sheriff and his wife basically, you know, being just this really sweet little side plot, and they're basically from Fargo. And she's asking, you know, she's saying, "Oh, Mr. Taylor wants to know who you who you're sleeping with," and blah blah blah. And then it says, uh, "See, it's just that kind of sarcasm that give, that's given our marriage real spice." And I just really <laughs> like that that little phrase. And then finally, um, when he turns in the first chapter or two of the new uh, misery child that he's writing for her, and she's talking about the um, the chapter plays. Uh, the Rocket Man, um, yeah, not not cliffhangers, chapter players, <laughs> uh, and she says, uh, you know, they they changed it basically the, the next week, and she stood up and shouted, "This isn't what happened last week. Have we all got amnesia? They just cheated us. This isn't fair. He didn't get out of the cockadoodie car." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Bit she's, as well. I like. She's that. not aged. She's not matured intellectually or anything since since that age, basically. So I just, I just love that. There's some great lines in this. It's William Goldman. I do love William James Caan's face when he's like has to figure out a way to resurrect mercy f- uh, misery from the <laughs> from the dead, and then it turns out she was in a coma because of um, a bee sting, and only, yeah. she was only uh, dug up by the the grave digger because the doctor real remembered that uh, one of her family members had the same genetic condition thirty years prior so from nobility. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because she's always like, "Oh, maybe you'll get inspiration. Maybe get some ideas down." He's just sitting there thinking, "This is fucking." This is nothing to me, <laughs> you know. I can I can toss this off in an afternoon if you want me to. It really doesn't mean anything to him. Yeah, um, yeah. The only the other the only other line I had that really stood out for me was uh, in the same in the same bit as uh, my favorite scene where she's like, "I have this gun. Sometimes I think about using it. I better go now. I might put some bullets in it." Just so yeah, terrifyingly creepy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my days! So that bit is phenomenally just <laughs> yeah <laughs> where he's having to talk about Liberace and going yeah oh, yeah we used to listen to the radio shows all the time it was like we were in the front row and he's just like yeah. telling her who was down at the front row <laughs> yeah. yeah just telling her what she wants to hear yeah and I quite liked it whenever she saw through that a little bit when she's like I love you and I know you don't you probably don't feel the same like she always kind of she's got this sober lucid bit under the surface where she understands the situation but she can also be charmed by him because it's wish fulfillment isn't it yeah she's wanting to fall in love with him essentially yeah so what we're going to do after the break ladies and gents we're going to find out what everybody else thought and we're also going to get Hugh's rating and just for our just for a laugh we're going to have a bit of a quiz as well so join us after that there break back to please watch this we're now ready for some ratings huge you want critics or shall i find out about your rating let's do some critics first eh? find out about critics including one of the greatest critics of all time in fact before we do that can you guess the metacritic score if you haven't already seen it no i've not seen it 
Uh, I'd say maybe 7.9. Uh, sorry, 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 79, not 7. So then you were pretty close, yeah, 75%. A surprisingly low 75%. Yeah. Um, did fairly well. Um, uh, what's the word? You know, financially. Uh, there is that a word is the for word, it. yeah. Did well with those uh, then monies. With the monies. A budget of 20 million, which is not a lot of money, but it doesn't look like a 20 million... F- like, they're only in one house, really. Like, it's not... I don't know. James Caan's probably quite expensive, but anyway, twenty million not that not that much money. Grossed about sixty one million dollars, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, seventy five percent on Metacritic. We'll uh, we'll hear from good old Rog Roger Ebert. Go on then. He gave it he gave it three out of four stars. Um, he was, but he was he gave a good paragraph or two on on Kathy Bates. He said Bates, who has the key uh, the film's key role is in uncanny in her ability to switch in an instant from sweet solicitude to savage scorn. Some of the things Stephen King invents for her to do to the writer are so shocking that they could be a trap for an actor, an invitation to overact, but she somehow remains convincing inside her character's madness. And I think that's true. It could have been much hammier, couldn't it? It could have been done a lot worse. I think a bad actor would have made this look overly dramatic, like a sort of almost melodramatic. Like a bad Stephen King film. Yeah, like the, that Shining adaptation for TV. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's all it is, just getting the right cast and directors. It's just that that's the difference to you, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of the film, he said, the, the result is a good craftsmanship, a movie that works. It does not illuminate, challenge or inspire, but it works. I think that's fine. It's a classic, but it's. Uh, I think it's fair to say that it's... Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Um Rita Kempley in the Washington Post wasn't as complimentary, gave it 40%. She said it's a weak handshake of a movie, hardly gripping, much less knuckle-whitening. This, I don't know what she meant by this because I couldn't find the full article annoyingly. This psycho for fatsos is as self-aware as it is styless. Now, presumably she's saying that it's styless. But it does, but the art... See, I think with this film, the art department's really gone above and beyond what they needed to do. Like, they make a whole album for this character. Just, you know, second child, you know, those little things like that. All the stuff Mm. on the desk, all the stuff behind the uh, sheriff's desk, all those little details. The set dressing for for her house. Um, You know, it's kind of... Uh, country kitsch but it's austere also you know austere aesthetic as well in that that one room you know it i think it was uh yeah i just don't agree <laughs> yeah i think we're i think we're fine with that we, we neither of us agree with old yeah. rita Kempley. What, what would you say um, do what would you say about what she has to say specifically oh i agree with what you say i think it is i don't think it's styless at all you no. know and i think it's yeah i think that's bollocks the question i wanted to ask <laughs> you then about this film and sure. it 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 is hard not to draw comparison with The Shining, quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, because you know it's ultimately about you know a small number of people in this case just two kind of isolated away going mad. <laughs> One person's already gone mad, <laughs> another person's going mad, and sort of a hostage situation, which The Shining kind of deteriorates into almost. Mm. Which is the better film for you? Good question. Or should we do it? Um... In fact, let's we'll do rating. We'll get your rating, and then we'll compare. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's do that. So, Hugh, how many cockadoodie lying dirty birds out of ten would you give this film? I would give it seven cockadoodie. What did you say? Lying birds out of ten. Lying birds. Only seven. A, now, your review sounded more like an eight. It's, well, it just or doesn't. Cr- I, I, well, I don't like to do decimals, so it's either a seven or an eight, and I think that's it's it's a very good film, but it's just not quite cracked that phenomenally good film. Okay. And okay. yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really, I was glad that I can. I'm, I'm almost disappointed that I saw it kind of in 2020 rather than say 2000 or 2002 or something like that because I think right. I would have enjoyed it more. And I had, I did see that scene where he got hobbled before on like some TV film review thing. Yeah. And that was, yeah, it was a shame actually because it's, it, I kind of forgot. I'd almost forgotten about it, and then I was like, oh yeah, I have seen that before. So oh, and I kind of knew more about it going in than maybe a lot of other films, but yeah, I was I was so surprised at how good it was actually. But yeah, it's not Ooh. quite an eight for me. And you know, if I was hypothetically speaking, some if I was to do decimal places, I'd probably <laughs> give it like a seven point nine. Oh, well, that's an eight, sure. But it's not; it's a seven. I'm, it always rounds down in this situation. <laughs> There's no rounding up. It's not a mathematical system; it's a rating I'll system. Take that. 
7.9 it is then. Um, I think for me... <laughs> Hypothetical. I think for me, probably an, probably an 8.5. Wow, that's high I don't, the, I don't think it could have been done much better than this. Um, you know, and I think it it does everything right, yeah. basically. And it and it's, uh, it's an enduring classic for me, so yeah. Right, well, so you've given it an 8.5. Now, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't remember what you gave The Shining, but Not this why. is it. So my question is, which is the better film, The Shining or this misery? Oh, dear, there's so many different things that they're... I think, going back to Rita Kempley's review about this being styleless, I don't think it's styleless, but I think The Shining is much more stylish and much more um, iconic. Right. And I think for that reason, probably The Shining was my immediate choice when you said which one is better. Yeah, that that um, was my that that's my opinion. Maybe not for the same reason, yeah. but I think there's a sense of dread in The Shining that you don't quite get with this. Like this is a thriller yeah. and it's suspenseful and it's it's well made. I like I do love the comedy in this film, but could you imagine this film without some of the comedy? Like if you give it to a more like Rob Reiner's, I wouldn't say he's a very serious director. Quite frankly, from the stuff well, I've yeah, seen. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a he's a very funny man, isn't he? And his 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 dad's very famous comedian as well. Yeah, so, yeah. I think there's, it's very much. But I think that of adds, its time. I think that adds. I think that adds. If if Kubrick had in this film, I probably would. I probably would have been. Probably would have preferred the Reiner version than the Kubrick version. I'd love to see a Kubrick version of this film. I know that's literally yeah. impossible. Because they are, yeah. they are, they are. There's, there's such, there's so many similarities between them. Yeah, I think The Shining's a better film by, you know, these hypothetical degrees. Maybe I'd give. I think also The Shining has more to work with. It's this huge hotel. This is one room essentially, isn't it? Yeah, and I think. And it's a supernatural but thriller yeah. as well, isn't it? Rather than just a straight suspense. Yeah. Um, and there's the supernatural elements of The Shining, which I usually don't like as much, but it gives it more to work with. I think it's less than. It's less than a, an integer out of ten uh, difference between them, really. Shall we move on to our quiz? Go ahead, quiz, quiz, quiz away, Sam. Fantastic. So I do have a I do have a replacement question for the one that you ruined. Um, <laughs> question question one: Where is the film mostly set? On Earth. Boom. Question one done. <laughs> Needs slightly more specific. America. Just a gnat's testicle more specific. North America. <laughs> so, specifically, we were in the United States. Good. Right. State. Oh, I thought it was Canada. Shit. <laughs> aren't they all set in the same... St- oh, where does Stephen King... Where's he from? Maine. They're all set in Maine, aren't they? Isn't this famously... Almost always. This is the only one, I think, <laughs> that isn't. I have no idea. I don't remember it mentioning what state it was. So, they're in Silver Creek, Colorado. Ah, they're in Colorado. The snow is a clue. Um, question two: What's the name of the painkiller that she gives to Paul? Oh, it's like Novocaine, Ronocaine. No, it's not cane. It's not a cane, no. but you've got the right, no. the correct first three letters. Oh, I can't remember some. You're pretty close. I'll give you half a point because she did get. Uh, it's Novril. 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 That was it. You get half a point for that then. Um, number Doing three. Badly so far. You'll know, you know this one, but I'll give this one for the listener anyway. In Annie's Memory Lane book, there is a political flag. It says, elect who? Gerald Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Nixon, wasn't it? I thought you had a replacement question. Nixon. I do, but I thought I'd throw that in anyway. So I do have seven questions. One of them is a kind ah. of bonus. So there's technically six, now five, because that one doesn't count. Um, question four, what is Misery's last name? Child? Nope, that's the name of one of the books. Oh, I thought that was, I thought that was a surname. And you said it earlier in the episode, I thought, I'm not going to correct him. I'm going to let him trip over that mistake. Oh, what's she called? I'll give you a clue. Yeah, please. Jessica. Jessica. What, her name's Jessica Misery? No, no. What surname comes to mind? Oh, it's Chastain, isn't it? Yeah, it's Misery Chastain. Chastain. <laughs> That's right, yeah, Misery Chastain. Question five. Oh, I should have got that. I think, I think you'll know this. And if you don't know it, then it's not a problem with how well you watch the film. Anyway, when Annie mm. um, hobbles Paul, what classical, what piece of classical music is playing? It's one of the sort of two or three bits of classical music that most people would know the name of, basically. That's why I've chosen it. Well, it's not Mozart. It's not Mozart. Oh, shit. 
No, I can't remember, Sam. It's the other one. <laughs> it's the other one. <laughs> so, who's not Mozart? Beethoven. Beethoven. And what Beethoven's would be one fifth. of his big... No, I think that's the... Da, 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 da. Yeah. I think that's fifth. Uh, oh, for, is, did Beethoven do Four Seasons? My classical music. No, that's Vivaldi. That's Vivaldi. I don't know, Sam. I'm having a mare this week. It's all right. Uh, this was one of the thoughts. Is this unfair? No, it's not fair thought, at all. If you, if you know the name of this, you'll, you'll recognise yeah. the piece. It's Fiorelisse. Fiorelisse. Um, what, sorry? This is where Fiorelisse. Fiorelisse. This What's is where you English? can add it in. For Elise. Uh, Elise, the name. Oh, uh, right. No, uh, I'll be honest, I actually didn't know the name of that piece. I'll, I'll play it for you. I'll play it for you while I, while I ask you this next question. In which direction does the penguin always face? South. Very good. Very yeah, because it was such a now, random thing for her to say. My pe- the penguin always faces south. It's like of course. Oh. Where, where, where do your penguins in? You know, in your house. Well, where do they always face in your house? I mean, outwards. <laughs> south, obviously. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to go on the first. Oh yes, I do know this piece. Yeah, of course we'll I do. do it. So the end of the episode, the rest of this episode is going to be listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Good. So I'm glad we cleared that up. Now, there is a bonus question. That, let me just tally up how many you got there. I think I got... So you didn't know the stage, I think I got like one enough. and a half. Half of that. Mm. Uh, Shall I give you Chastain? I'll give you Chastain. Oh, yeah, I'll I got Chastain. Yeah, technically, yeah, because you gave me a... I'll give you... I'll give you three. <laughs> okay, thanks. Now, here's a bonus kind of guessy question. Only one character is said to be played by himself in the credits. Which one? I didn't watch the credits. Um, <laughs> so I usually tend to watch the first like minute or so of the credits, and I didn't watch them this week. Cause can you guess? Can yeah, you, you it's usually it's stuff like this. It's usually like the news reporter. It's not. Oh, is it not the news reporter in this one? They live at the house. They live at the house. Oh. What? <laughs> no, I've no idea, Sam. I didn't see the credits. Misery the pig. Misery oh, the pig. Right. <laughs> Played by himself. <laughs> I think we do need to mention just before we wrap this up. Um, Lauren Bacall is in yeah, this for yeah. very short periods, but just Lauren Bacall in it. You know, she's just plays it. Plays it. has been well. amazing. Yeah, she's <laughs> she she is very much believable as a literary agent. Yes, she actually is. A high-powered literary agent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. So good. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm really happy, Hugh, that you've that you've enjoyed. Uh, the film I recommended, particularly kind of something that I wouldn't necessarily expect you to to like, just on the basis it's got some horror elements. It's a bit like some of the films that we've watched. So yeah, I'm really happy. It was a good, really happy. It was a good throwback film, you know, to like early nineties sort of late eighties yeah. kind of like again films we kind of saw growing up as kids. You know, this is what a lot of them were like, weren't they? Or oh, they were trying to yeah. be like this, as good as these films. That's were, yeah. And in fact, there is a film I won't mention it, but there is a film on our list for you to watch in the future that I think borrows a lot from this. Ooh. What we're going to watch next week, though, Hugh, so keeping my big with our early nineties theme, <clears throat> we're going to watch because it turns out Sam's never seen it. Um, Boys in the Hood, because mm. just because we are, Sam's not seen it. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's that's that's it. That's as much of a justification as we need. Yeah. What do you know about it, Sam? Everything I know about it comes from the film. Don't be a menace to South Central while you're drinking your juice in the hood. That's a message, um, people. <laughs> yeah, or, or from, you know, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Yep. Uh, and, and I imagine it set up and created a lot of the tropes that we now see Yeah. Um, in kind of... Or saw. What you'd call kind of black gangster ghetto films. Yeah. The hood films, you know. Uh, which is... I do like. I've been, I've been absolutely ploughing through the wire. There's a lot of that there, so... I'm intrigued to see which which things came first, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to do that, and um, yeah, That's it. it's uh, yeah, it's a classic film essentially. I think the yeah. writer or the director of it died. No, it's it's it's, oh, it's Spike Lee. I can't remember off the top of my head. Somebody associated with it was quite young, and he wrote it at a young age. I think he might have been the writer. He died last year, and he was only in his like mid forties. Oh, so right, I think okay. I think we'll check that. We'll fact check that. Don't worry, audience. Yeah, I we'll could be completely wrong, stuff. but yeah, there is. I think it's Spike Lee film. Um, so you know you're going to get something juicy there. Always with yeah, Spike Lee. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Great stuff. Well, uh, Hugh, if they want to get in touch with us and tell us um, what they would do if they were stuck in a house with Annie Will- uh, Wil- Wilkes, um, how could they do that? 
So if they wanted to get a message to us, realistically, <clears throat> they need to drive more safely on roads when they finish writing their... <laughs> right, they've got to become an author first. Then they've got to go up to okay. us. They've got to go down to Colorado. They've got to get caught in a snowstorm, crash the car, have a crazy person who's obsessed with their work, capture yeah. them. You, you know, you can fill in the blanks here. But essentially, <laughs> when the sheriff comes to rescue them, instead of him being blown away and murdered horribly, you actually have to give him a message for us. Oh, that's, okay. that's it, you see. And uh, yeah, we'll read it out on the podcast. And yeah, hopefully if we get... Some, a bit of correspondence we can do an episode where we just go over some correspondence send some authorities out to uh, various trapped persons yep alright well there's there's a lot of ifs, ifs there but if, yeah I look forward to the deluge of emails yep. uh, yeah I mean but if you <laughs> if you can get access to a computer because I mean in that situation oh, you're probably not going to get access to a computer but if you do you can email us <laughs> at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com that's that please watch this yeah, dot pod at gmail.com we're still with the gmail we're too poor to get our own uh you know I mean, email on. handle i'm lazy we're not in it for the money I'm, i mean we're in it for the for the women really for the girls yeah. you know for the and the drugs the skirt. the skirt and the drugs and the uh yeah, worldwide fame obviously but the money yeah, if it yeah. comes you know bonus you know make it rain See, look, you talk about Boys in the Hood and we're already stereotyping you <laughs> racist. In the ghetto. <laughs> Righty-o. So, Sam, if um, they wanted to contact us through another form of internet mm. interaction that's not through an email, how else could they do that? HTTPS <laughs> uh, colon slash slash www.twitter.com Forward slash at please watch pod, I think. So we are on Twitter at please watch pod. They've got because they might have missed the URL of our <laughs> of our Twitter page. So if you go to Twitter, type in at that's the A with a circle around it, basically. Please watch pod, and uh, we'll see you in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the future's coming. All right, guys, Get ready for that Y2K bug. <laughs> and uh, yeah don't forget to pick up a Tamagotchi well I Sam know. I think we've dragged this out for long enough way too way long we need to cut this all out but thank you listeners we love you awfully and we will talk to you next yeah, time he loves you awfully see you next time indeed bye bye, bye.